The show you love with even more local, local news, news and more local talk. talk. The voice of the valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's your host, Mike Douglas. And welcome to the Mike Douglas Show this fine Wednesday afternoon in California's Central Valley. Thanks for being with us. Our opportunity to provide you with a live and local resource the way we have the opportunity to talk about the issues of the day respectfully, reasonably, and rationally. Iron sharpening iron, we call it in the theological circles. It's our ability to take a look at issues from just about every possible side and challenge each other in our thinking as well. All good in terms of being knowledgeable citizens and when it comes to, oh, dates like November 2022, being able to cast votes intelligently with good backgrounds. And as you know, I do not tell you how to vote, what to think. My job is to provide that forum where we can discuss the issues, and I'll bring up issues and the best research that we can, and you put that into your mix. And then when it comes to uh, November 2022, November 2024, You are well prepared to uh, cast an intelligent vote for thank you. Thank you so much for participating in that uh, process here on the Mike Douglas Show. Mike Douglas, here again, your concierge for conversation. So let's get to it on this Wednesday afternoon. And again, I will say, I will keep repeating it, coming up, an election, an important one, And I think one that really would be a tipping point uh, for California to a degree, but very much so for the nation, November 2022, the midterm elections. And I, I like to encourage folks to vote because of things like, well, a story I'm going to talk about in just a moment. This has to do with how important it is who we elect as governor, how important it is who we elect in our various counties as district attorneys. Here's a bulletin that came out today from the Stanislaus County District Attorney's Office, Brigitte Flatiger. It uh, concerns the recommendation of the California Parole Board to grant parole for a, uh, a gentleman uh, who is named Terrell Lamont Threet, T-H-R-E-E-T. He's now 59 years old, <clears throat> originally from Stockton. And uh, not too long ago, on April 15, uh, the parole board found that uh, he was recommended, uh, worthy to be recommended for parole. He's currently at San Quentin. Let me give you the background here. And why am I bringing this up at all? Well, We think about Prop 47. Uh, We think about uh, the issues involved in, you know, it's not just the governor we elect, but the people that he puts on boards and commissions, or she, as the case may be, is important. If you remember, the California Parole Board, these are appointed positions. I think there are 21 members. They're appointed by the governor. And they are confirmed by the California Senate. So these are not elected officials. These are political appointees. 
So the political appointees have decided this gentleman is eligible for parole. Let me give you the background here. On May 25, 1991, Terrell Lamont Threat came from Stockton with a couple of friends, and he attended a party in Salida. A fight broke out, and Threat fired shots in the air. So as people were fleeing, Threat shot someone named Jesse Vargas in the arm, knocking him to the ground. Threat then walked up to Vargas, who was on the ground, and shot him in the back as he lay there. Threat then fled in a car, and he spotted someone named Reggie Bland standing near a fence by Salida School. Well, Threat shot Bland in the chest, killing him. And there's a third victim, a 17-year-old juvenile who was grazed by a bullet to his hand. He was treated at a local hospital and released. Well, Mr. Threat remained at large for a couple of days, but he was finally arrested about three days later. On May 28th, charged with murder and attempted murder, along with enhancements for personal use of a firearm. On October 4th, he pled no contest to second-degree murder, and attempted murder, and admitted the enhancements for personally using a firearm. At the sentencing hearing on January 27, 1992, he was sentenced by Judge Edward Lacey to serve 18 years to life in state prison. Now, according to the Stanislaus County District Attorney, since he's been in prison, Mr. Threat has regularly violated prison rules including possessing and using controlled substances five times within a one-year period between 2017 and 2018, possessing a cell phone and cell phone components in 2016, attempting to participate in a riot, disruptive work behavior, possession of inmate-manufactured alcohol, that, that must be an adventure, and fighting with other inmates on more than one occasion. Now, in 2018, there was a comprehensive risk assessment done by a prison psychologist who said that their opinion was Threat represented a high risk for future violence if released into the community. That was in 2018. There was another assessment last year in 2021 by a different psychologist And that psychologist rated Mr. Threat as a moderate risk for violence if released. A moderate risk. So at the hearing, representatives of the Stanislaus County District Attorney argued that Mr. Threat ought to be kept in prison because of his long history of violence, gang involvement while in prison, use of controlled substances while in prison, lack of credibility, and lack of any firm parole plans. Well, the Board of Parole disagreed. They found that Mr. Threat was being honest about his past, apparently admitting to uh, what he had done. And they said, well, they gave weight to the fact he was only 18 years old. Only 18 years old when he committed the murder and attempted murder and that younger people are more susceptible to influences from peers at that age. The board also found his parole plans were adequate, and they've ordered him to uh, transitional housing upon his release. Now, he's been denied parole a couple of times. 
the most recent being a three-year stipulated denial in 2018. He's been in prison for approximately 30 years. So here's, here's my question for you. Does, does, this, does this seem like a compassionate decision for the public? Well, wait, wait a minute, Mike. It, it, aren't, aren't we just focusing on what's good for the parolee? Uh, no, I, I think there are two things at work during these parole hearings. One is what's good for the parolee or the supposed parolee, the one applying for parole. And then, well, what's good and compassionate for the public? So the psychologist says, well, he has a moderate, a moderate chance, a moderate risk for violence if he's released. So if you're in Mr. Threat's neighborhood, are you happy about the fact he only has a moderate, only a moderate risk of violence if released? How do you feel about that? Would you be okay about Mr. Threat winding up living on your block? We'll talk about that in three minutes. <laughs> Coming up on the Mike Douglas Show. What I do know about for sure is that when it comes to real estate, I have to go to an expert. It takes an expert to help, I think, and my go-to guy is Dan Phipps. Good reasons right now to sell, by the way. Prices are going up. Inventory is low, and the future interest rates are uncertain. I think of what it would take to sell my own aging home. I'm concerned about repairs I'd have to do. How about you? Are you worried about costly repairs or upgrades needed to sell your home? Well, call the agent I trust, Dan Phipps. Dan's proprietary marketing system guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours for full market value, or Dan will sell it for free. His home selling program, it's designed to maximize your sales price. You're in complete control. And this is what I so much value about his approach. No long-term contracts, no required costly repairs, and you pick your move date. Dan can even find you a new home before you move. Now, Ronald in Modesto says he was retiring, planning to move out of state, already had a home lined up, so he needed to sell his current home fast and a top dollar to afford his move. The problem was his home needed costly repairs and updates, so he spoke to Dan Phipps, and Dan assured him he could get it done, and he did. Big time, says Ronald. Dan sold his home in days at the top end price for his area with no costly repairs. So call Dan Phipps. He's the man I recommend. I would hire him to sell my home. Dan Phipps is the only agent who guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours or it's sold free. Call Dan Phipps, 209-840-6378 or go to danphipps.com. That's Dan Phipps with three P's, D-A-N-P-H-I-P-P-S.com. And the Mike Douglas Show will continue in three minutes, right here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. On air and online, take the Mike Douglas Show with you with the iHeartRadio app. Search 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Talking about uh, the California Parole Board saying this gentleman uh, currently in San Quentin 
Uh, he was qualified for parole. He only is uh, only a moderate risk for violence if he's released. Remember, uh, Mr. Terrell Lamont Threat, now age 59, back in 1991, went to a party, shot, uh, fired some shots in the air, shot a guy in the arm, knocking the guy named Jesse to the ground. And while he was on the ground, he walked up to him and shot him on the back while he was in the back as he was laying on the ground. Then he fled in a car. He spotted another guy named Reggie standing near a fence at a school, and he shot him in the chest and killed him. And then he injured a third victim, a 17-year-old juvenile, grazed by a bullet to his hand. Uh, He was taken to a hospital and released. So he was uh, convicted and sent to prison for 18 years to life. And in 19... well, see, 2018, a psychologist said, no, he was a high risk for future violence if released into the community. Then there was another, a different psychologist in 2021 last year who said, no, Mr. Threed is a, only a moderate risk for violence if released. Well, what <laughs> would you like Mr. Threed living near you sometime in the not too distant future? Do you feel this is a just decision by the California Parole Board? 209-551-3483 is our number here. Sean uh, sent me a message. He says these types of animals should never get out. He's sick and tired of uh, liberals releasing criminals like this back out to kill more people. He says, God forgive me, I have no mercy. For folks like this, he says, I support law enforcement taking people off the street people like this. Do you agree with Sean that we're, we're just, we're just making another, uh, foundation for another act of violence by releasing people like Mr. Three. My friends, this is not a situation where this guy was just sent to prison because, uh, it was a possession of marijuana charge. And he's doing time for possession of marijuana. No, 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 no. He, he murdered people. He murdered a guy. Another guy shot him, shot him in the arm. The guy fell down on the ground. And while the guy was on the ground, Mr. Threat went over at 18 years old, shot him in the back. Shot him in the back. And the California Parole Board says, man, he's only a... I, we agree with the psychologist. He's only a moderate risk. What do you think? Is this a just decision, both for Mr. Threat and for the public? 209-551-3483. Let's go to the phones and get your opinions on this. And uh, we'll go up the road a little bit to Oakdale. Kathleen, Kathleen, welcome. Uh, what do you think about this situation? I think that uh, given what the psychologists have, have said, uh, that uh, I think society should probably release him. He's, uh, what, 48 years old, and um, but I don't – he's been in a time capsule uh, given uh, technology, and uh, so I think he would be very thrilled uh, to be released as a 48-year-old man. It would be a happy experience for him. And uh, so I think he would not want to go back to prison. He's got that motivation. But I think that uh, for society to release him responsibly uh, to the public, um, 
he would have to have an actual sponsor like parents um, uh, that would have uh, say over him as much as parents have say over a minor, even though he is 48 years old, because I really think that he is like a boy that was orphaned in the jungle and he really hasn't been uh, raised uh, with good morals or um, even, um, what do you call it, uh, uh, principles and values that society has and expects of him, he's he's uh, naive. Okay, so uh, if if you um, if you think about, it, by the way, he's fifty nine years old, actually fifty nine. Oh, he's fifty nine. Yeah, okay. so I'm you know, likely his parents may not be still alive. We you know we we don't really know, but it's an interesting thought about a conservatorship if he's released. Uh, should there be some type of provision for a conservatorship? Now, obviously, he'll be on parole, so the parole agents are going to be watching him. Uh, and and again, he was 18 years old when this went uh, when this went down. <clears throat> and so your 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 theory, Kathleen, is he's been in a bubble in prison, hasn't uh, received the guidance that he probably needed. And maybe that can happen on after he's released with a conservatorship type relationship. Uh, yeah, but stronger than conservatorship, um, I, this would be a person who is actually responsible, and he is beholden to learning uh, principles and values uh, of civil society, just like. Uh, any grade schooler, I mean, he has to uh, listen to his conservatorship. He has to oh. learn those things that he, he didn't learn. As far as I know, all his adult life he's been in prison. Isn't that what I heard? Or no? uh, Well, yeah, since about 18, 19 years old, something like that, yeah. In his late teens, yes, uh, since I, his 20s, yeah. I really don't think, I really don't think he has, he has, uh, uh, the values and, uh, and uh, of civil society, or, or of just ordinary society, he just doesn't have any any values that we expect of him. He doesn't even know them. He's naive. Well, I to what? I, yeah, I, I would agree that that he probably does not have the values that we have. Uh, Kathleen, thanks for the call. You you bring up some some interesting points. Kathleen from Oakdale, saying, <clears throat> well, he he should be released. But the state should make sure that he's receiving some uh, mentoring in terms of values and maybe some type of conservatorship, although she's thinking something a little more more stronger and influential um, than that. Do you agree with that? Do you, do you agree with her assessment that uh, he was only 18 years old, 19 years old when he went to prison, been there a long time? Um, Stanislaus D.A. saying, well, he's not obeyed the rules in prison, and therefore we think uh, he's still a risk to society. Uh, One psychologist agreed with that in 2018. Uh, Last year, 2021, another psychologist said, nope, uh, only see that he would be um, a moderate risk, not not a minor risk, but a, a moderate risk for violence if released i'm i'm wondering if um if that's the case then 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 maybe the state ought to be responsible and maybe those who let him out ought to be 
suable if he commits other acts of violence and some type of accountability there. Is there any accountability for the political appointees on the board of parole? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, It's a tough decision. On the one hand, you want to try to give people a way to straighten up and fly right. On the other hand, look at history, look at the crimes that were committed, and the fact he's been in a highly structured environment. Can he function in a non-structured environment? We'll be back in five minutes. Mike Douglas Show, Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The Mike Douglas Show, now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Take the Mike Douglas Show with you every weekday from 3 till 5. Download the free iHeartRadio app and follow 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation. And the the conversation right now is centering on some tough questions about the California Parole Board releasing uh, a gentleman, Mr. Terrell Lamont Threat, now age 59, who... uh, had been convicted of second-degree murder and some other charges as well. And the question is, should he be paroled? 2018, a parole a, a psychologist uh, looked at him and, and uh, evaluated him and felt that um, he, he felt that uh, he was a, a risk for being released to the community, that he would commit future violence. Then another psychologist last year said, nope, he's only a moderate risk. I'll uh, give you some other thoughts on that. I want to hear yours, though. What do you think? Is this the compassionate thing to do for him and the compassionate thing to do for society? Our number here, 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. Three up to Stockton we go, and Robert. Robert, welcome to the show. What's your take on this? Hello. Well, my take is is the compassion isn't being shown to the victims and their families. There was a gentleman who was killed. Um, how is that compassionate to his mom, dad, brothers, sister, aunts, uncles, children, if he had any, and if he didn't have any yet, all the children he would have had. That guy snuffed out a life. So where is the where is the equality there? Where is the compassion to the victim? The victim got a life sentence, and that, that guy dealt it out. He didn't def- he wasn't doing self defense. It wasn't a murder or a crime of passion. He was on a shooting spree, just killing willy nilly. And he tried to kill the other guy, and thank God he didn't die. And the young man who only got hit in the hand, by the grace of God, he didn't die. That could have been three lives right there. What do they want? More? They want more of this? I mean, the guy has been in prison this long. The other guy is dead forever. Robert, you bring up uh, some great points when we talk about uh, the victims. What's what's just for the victims and, and for the families of, of the victims? Uh, Robert, thanks for the call very much. What? Appreciate your point. All right. Thank you, Robert. Uh, the Another thing that that Robert uh, brings to to my mind, and and I'm going back to an interview that we had uh, 
this was back with Advancing Vibrant Communities on a show we called uh, Lighthouse Live that, that was on podcasts and such. I interviewed, uh, he's now uh, in heaven, but uh, a man named Dennis Whitman, who for quite a while was the director of Teen Challenge for our region here in this part of uh, this part of California. Dennis Whitman, as uh, a young man, he uh, got into marijuana, and he said that opened the door for him to heavier drugs, eventually led him to LSD. Uh, one night when he was on LSD, he and his brother were uh, in a room together. Uh, Dennis said he passed out. I'm shortening the story very much here to make the point. He passed out when he woke up. He saw blood all over the place, went over, followed the blood, and his brother was there dead in a pool of blood. And it turned out, un, un, and Dennis didn't even remember it, but in his LSD stupor, Dennis stomped his brother to death. Well, Dennis <clears throat> Dennis did time. And now this, and, and again, this is something that we need to enter into the requ- uh, equation there can be rehabilitation. Dennis Whitman, his life turned around, and uh, he he became a follower of Christ. Uh, eventually, upon his release, he went up in, into the upper echelons of Teen Challenge, our organization in, in our state, rather, so that he could help other teens like him so that they would not wind up like either his brother or him. So what I'm, I'm saying is I do believe there are pathways to rehabilitation. I'm just not seeing that this one fits a profile that would, uh, that would fit into that equation. And then, uh, and, and Kathleen brought this up a, a couple of moments ago, what about some form of conservatorship? Now, uh, Mr. Threed is now 59 years old. He was 18 when he committed these crimes, been in prison uh, since he was about, I think, 19 or so, uh, sentenced to 18 years uh, to life. The question is, has he shown a demonstrable record of being rehabilitated? Has he shown that he's turned his life around? Kathleen talked about, uh, does he have foundational morals where he can operate safely for himself and safely for society within society? And and the parole board is saying, yeah, we think so. He's only a moderate risk for violence. So the, the question is, what type of forced conservatorship would work in this type of case? Uh, Anne wrote in a, a minute or two ago and, and said that she didn't think he proved himself, that he should get out. And she would say, I, I, I would say the same thing if he was my own son, Uh, And I think here's a very profound statement that she had. Letting him out is not helping him to be a responsible citizen, at at least at this point in uh, in his equation. So these are these are tough issues, and again, it 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 relates to one of the big stories that we've been looking at uh, off and on, and, and it's still being debated up in Sacramento, and that is uh, SB 1338. That's related to Governor Gavin Newsom's plan uh, for a, uh, a CARE program, C-A-R-E, and the establishment of CARE courts. 
And the idea is, and, and here we're looking specifically uh, at uh, the homeless. And if there are homeless who have uh, severe addictions, if they have mental illness, then the governor's proposal is that they would be put into some type of program. Um, I don't want to say institution. I don't know that that's probably the word that Governor Newsom would appreciate, but I I think uh, in in some type of uh, environment, shall we say, uh, where the uh, person with mental illness or a severe drug addiction uh, would be kept away from society but would have the opportunity to take advantage of whatever state resources there are or will be to um, to straighten their lives out. And to Ann's point, we need to provide folks with some type of opportunity to prove themselves. And with that, we need to provide the opportunity of high expectations. If you want to be released, this is my opinion, here are the expectations that we have for you. This is getting a job. Now, you say, well, Mike, how are you going to get a job when you're a felon? Well, that's part of the equation, too. That's always a a tough nut to crack, my friends, uh, because it does require employers who are willing to take a chance on on a a released uh, parolee. And whether or not they're willing to take that chance, I don't know. Uh, I think the uh, employer has to weigh it out, and, and properly so, because the employer has to consider his or her employees and the customers, if there are if it's a retail-type situation, uh, or if it's a manufacturer, the, co- the customers that come in uh, to the manufacturing location. All those things have to be, um, have to be considered. I have dealt with people who have successfully done this. They, they have turned their lives around. There's uh, a man in town who uh, did time in the shoe, solitary confinement, turned his life around, been tough, but he appreciates the opportunity he had, and he has proved himself to be a responsible citizen. So it's, it's not that I don't believe in rehabilitation. It's I'm not seeing it here, and I don't know that the state has yet established programs that will give us identifiable results. So what do you think about this case? Is it the just thing to do to release Mr. Threat, is it the just thing for the public to have him released in their midst? And uh, as Robert just brought up, is it the just thing for the victims, one of them who died and has no voice in it now? Let's see what you think. Area code 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. Ed from Modesto, what are your thoughts? Well, here's a couple of my thoughts. This guy's 59 years old. He spent the majority of his life in prison. And what we're kind of glossing over is his life in prison because he has shown that while in prison, he did not want to adjust to the rules. He was in all kind of different situations where he violated the prison rules, was, was fighting with other inmates, probably who knows what, okay, Now, you're telling me you're going to take a guy who couldn't conform with a rigid environment in prison and going to turn him loose, and he's going to all of a sudden be like a leopard and change his spots? 
This guy's 59 years old. He's not going to change his ways. He's set in his ways. And a lot of these individuals that you point out who went to prison and who've changed their lives and come out for the better were not 59 years old. They were 29 or 39 or something like that. These old guys, they're not going to change their habits. And this guy's going to want to do what he wants to do. And as soon as he, if you put him on some type of conservatorship, well, I've seen the conservatorship program. They don't maintain that type of tight control over them. And the state will tell you that they don't have the money or the manpower to watch them closely. Just look at the parole system. Good point, that's Ed. That's all I got to say. On yeah, that. no, I, I, I think you make some, some valid points. I think one of the problems, inherent problems here, Ed, is that in prison, there's structure. Whether you like it or not, not you, Ed, you wouldn't be in prison, but whether the person likes it or not, there is structure in prison. Uh, you have to do this at this certain time. You have to do that at that certain time. Uh, you get your meals for free, et cetera, et cetera. And when you're released after, and, and again, we're, we're talking, the man is now 59 years old. He was 18 when he originally committed the crime, I think 19 when he was sentenced. He's been decades in a very structured environment. And I think you make a great point, Ed. Is I don't think that either that the state has the money or the expertise to rehabilitate him outside the prison walls. Uh, so I, I have to agree with you on that point. And, and Ed, you made a good point. Uh, some of the folks that I'm talking about, they were not 59 years old. They were in their, uh, in their mid-20s or their 30s. So uh, good point, and uh, I acknowledge that. Uh, Ed, thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. Uh, tough subject, my friends, to uh, think about. We'll continue the discussion at area code 209-551-3483. We'll continue that uh, topic in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. You're listening to the Mike Douglas Show, the voice of the valley. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show, talking about this uh, parolee to be and uh mr threat again a convicted killer and uh examined in 2018 by one psychologist they said nope he has a high risk for future violence if released into the community last year a different psychologist said no he's only a moderate risk for violence if released and so the parole board in uh, california has determined that he shall be released what do you think is this a good thing for the public for him and for the victims or the victims families. Our number here, 209-551-3483. Uh, let's go to Brentwood. And John, John, what do you think? I think it's idiotic. I think it's just another woke thing going on in California. How, how do they figure it's a moderate chance he might commit another violent crime, so let's set him free? What is moderate? 30-70, 60-40, 50-50? Would the parole board install a water heater in their home if it only had a moderate chance of exploding but they you. drive their car to work if if the brakes had a moderate chance of going out it's stupid they have to come to the point that it's pretty much a zero percent chance that he's going to commit another crime if it's any chance at all he stays put where it is and if if the death penalty was intact like it should have been we wouldn't even be having this discussion today yeah john great great point i i, I thought the same thing as i'm looking at 
a moderate risk. What does that mean? If uh, if the guy is living next door to me, uh, like you say, I don't hardly even want a one percent chance that he might be violent again. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure that's a just decision. I'm not sure the motivation really is uh, compassion for the victims or or uh, thoughtfulness about society as a whole. John, some uh, some great points there. Thanks for the call. Appreciate that very much. Our phone number here, 209-551-3483. And uh, let's go up the road a piece to Manteca. Mike, uh, what are your thoughts about prison rehab and Mr. Three? Yeah, I was just uh, listening to the show. I just started driving home from work, and uh, I kind of caught the tail end of something you were saying that kind of caught my attention was that we have, we have these prisoners that, require uh, drug and alcohol treatment. Uh, They require uh, mental illness, treatment for mental illness. Possibly they just need religion in their lives. So it occurred to me that maybe the rehabilitation uh, has to be upgraded and it has to start within the prisons. Like if 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 we spent the money or spent the time in upgrading our there was a synagogue in every prison. There was a Catholic church in every prison. There was a, 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 a Muslim house of worship within every prison. There was a uh, drug and rehabilitation center within the prison. There was a, uh, and you could, you, could, you could even, you know, you would have the guards, you would have the structure, but you would also have the drug and alcohol treatment going on by civilians that came in from the outside within the prison walls and began to start the rehabilitation. You know, if somebody got an 18-year sentence, they started the rehabilitation the day they went in. You know, they could kind of like a, a rehabilitation college. You know, you take courses, you get involved in drug and alcohol awareness programs, 12-step programs. You get involved in, uh, in uh, uh, mental illness prevention, psychiatrists evaluating people, and and do it within the, because you, you made a comment like, uh, you know, institutions, we need, these people are institutionalized. Well, they are once they enter prison, and they probably might need it for the rest of their lives. So why not just build all that infrastructure within the prison system rather than letting them out and try to structure it on outside the real world while they're trying to survive as well? Just a thought I had. Yeah, Mike, uh, I think you make a great point. Uh, one, one of the main ones being, uh, thanks for the call, by the way, Mike. Appreciate that very much. One of the main main ones being is uh, we need to do a better job, I think, within the prison system to provide uh, effective rehabilitation. Let's go back to the phones very quickly uh, to Pat from Patterson. Hi, Pat. Welcome to the show. What are your thoughts? Um, I was just thinking, you know, these judges, because some of them are at fault, along with this psychiatrist and other people that, you know, have the power to make these decisions, I think they need to be held responsible for what they do also. And so maybe it would cause them to think about what they're doing a little bit deeper than just saying, oh, he's only a moderate problem, you know. But, you know, if, if you're going to get... Um, you know, in trouble for what you what you're saying, you might give them more thought. 
And I and, and I think nowadays so many people are just reacting off of emotion and not off of thinking things through. So that's my comment. <laughs> Pat, uh, some good comments, some good thoughts there. Uh, again, I think it comes back to accountability. You used that word. Uh, Pat, thanks so yes. much for the call. We appreciate yes. that very much. Uh, accountability, Pat, I, I think you're right on the money. Accountability at all levels in this process. Accountability for the person who is a candidate for parole. Accountability for the parole board members. Accountability for the psychologists. I mean, is it, if this guy goes out or anyone else who's and a psychologist says, yeah, you, you can release them, and they go out and murder someone, can that psychologist be sued for malpractice? I don't know. Some type of accountability. I think uh, some, some great points there. Uh, we'll be back uh, shortly with uh, the Mike Douglas Show as you think about these particular issues in, uh, in uh, just past the uh, top of the hour. And we'll look at news, weather, and traffic, and then uh, we'll take a look at Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci is now making a pronouncement about the pandemic. He was uh, on uh, on an NPR show uh, recently, and this was uh, yesterday, I think, and uh, it's a, a very interesting comment because he really says one thing about the pandemic in the context of of the United States of America, and another thing about the pandemic in terms of the context of the world. We'll take a look at that, get your opinion in five minutes. Here on the Mike Douglas Show, as we continue on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Be right back. The show you love with even more local local news news and more local talk. talk. The voice of the valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's your host, Mike Douglas. Welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. Heading into hour number two here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. One of the things we've been talking about today is accountability. And that that came out of our discussion about uh, a man that is up for parole, age 59. He's a convicted killer. And uh, the parole board is saying they... They agree with the uh, recent uh, assessment by a psychologist last year that said he only has a moderate risk for violence uh, if he's released. So that brought up a lot of discussion about accountability at all levels. Accountability for the state parole board. How do we hold them accountable for bad decisions? Uh, accountability for the, the released inmate, the parolee. Is our parole system, I mean, they have so many people they have to deal with. Can we really provide adequate accountability there? Out of that came a discussion about, really, there needs to be accountability for having reasonable and effective uh, rehabilitation programs within the prison system. Do we? And if we do, are they working? So good discussions uh, with that. And uh, that that leads me to uh, talk a little bit about SB 1338. That's the uh, CARE bill. Uh, Before I do that, though, uh, a quick note for our uh, listeners up in Stockton. 
you have a brand new police chief. His name is Stanley McFadden. Stanley McFadden. He currently serves as a deputy chief with the San uh, the San Jose Police Department, and he will begin uh, Stockton uh, listeners. He will begin being your police chief on June first of this year. And let's see a little bit of his. Uh, by the way, he's going to be the fiftieth police chief in Stockton. That's that's an interesting milestone. Uh, joined the San Jose Police Department in 93 as a police officer. Uh, rose to the rank of deputy police chief in 2021. And uh, in, uh, in Stockton, uh, he uh, basically, again, is, is going to um, step into the police chief role on uh, June 1st. So those of you in Stockton... What do you expect of your new police chief? What would you like to have him do that's new? Are there any new things that you would like to see from your police chief? Phone number here, 209-551-3483. Again, Stockton, you have a new police chief, effective June 1st, Stanley McFadden. What would, what would you like him to do? What, what changes would you like him to make? We're also talking about the CARE Bill, SB 1338. If you remember, this is uh, in line with Governor Gavin Newsom's proposal for a mental health arm of California's courts. And uh, yesterday there was a lot of discussion about that at hearings uh, in Sacramento. Uh, There are opponents uh, and proponents, even some Democratic uh, lawmakers are not quite sure about the bill. Issues over whether such a system uh, could realistically be effective and whether it would respect the civil liberties of the people it's meant to help. Under the CARE Court, if you recall, someone who uh, may be experiencing a severe psychotic disorder and doesn't have the capacity to take care of themselves or or others, uh, then they would be brought before a superior court judge. And the judge could then order the county to provide services to that person. If the person doesn't participate, then the person could be subject to more court hearings and the potential for conservatorship. I see with all the lawyers in California, I see a long, a long list of uh, a schedule of uh, court appearances there. Uh, California Health and Human Services Secretary Mark Galley was in the hearing room yesterday, and he says, if you don't do this, the state is, quote, going to stay mired in a stale and deadly yes, deadly conversation about having not enough of this or enough of that as our excuse not to serve the most sick, vulnerable, and sadly overlooked Californians. So there, that's the statement from uh, California Health and Human Services Secretary Mark Galley. Uh, Senator Scott Weiner, of course, you remember, he's Democrat from San Francisco. He's confident it's going to get there. And he'd like more funding for voluntary mental health services. Senator Maria Elena DeRosso, a Democrat from Los Angeles, was asking if the state could reasonably house these clients for the program, given the shortage of housing units. 
Well, Dr. Galley said, oh, yes, yes, we can meet the needs of the estimated 7,000 to 12,000 people that the program will affect. Well, her response was, we don't understand exactly how everything is going to work out. We're asked to take, take a leap of faith here. Making this decision is tough, but it's tougher to see human beings on the street like that. Uh, so even within the supermajority of the Democratic Party here in California, there's not unanimity regarding the care bill. I think one of, well, there's, there's several issues. One is funding. And how do you slice that pie? How, how much uh, extra money do we have in California? What was it, $30 billion at first, then it went up to 41 I think, uh, somewhere in that range. And we were talking about how about taking a lot of that money and, and creating water reservoirs or processing plants to solve the drought problem. Uh, how about some of that money being used for, for this purpose, if it will work? The other big issue, though, I think, is the whole issue of really forced conservatorship and, in effect, institutionalization. Is uh, are are we serving? Does that violate the rights of the homeless folks who just may not be able to take care of themselves or others? They may not have the capacity. They may be uh, dealing with mental illness or severe addictions that create uh, an, a, a situation where they're unable to take care of themselves. And so in that case, is it the right thing to do to force them into conservatorship and or institutionalization? Tough, tough calls. And I I think what we're seeing is that uh, even the legislators on the Democratic side are 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 struggling with this. So it's an issue I don't think that's going to be solved easily. We'll see what happens with it. If you'd like to track the bill again, it's SB Senate bill 1338, 1338 and generally known as the care bill. So while we're uh, thinking about that, we turn to Washington DC, which is always uh, an adventure and talking about accountability, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who holds Dr. Fauci accountable is, is there anyone that holds Anthony Fauci accountable? If there is, what form of accountability is it? He's not elected. And isn't he the highest paid federal person on the federal payroll? At least that's the last I heard. <clears throat> what type of accountability is there for Dr. Fauci? And uh, that what you're going to love his, his new statement. This was made yesterday on NPR's uh, news show with PBS NewsHour with Judy Woodruff. Uh, She was asking him uh, about uh, the pandemic in general, but she she got really down to the essence of of some things we'd like to know. And she asked him, how close are we to the end of this pandemic? And this is how Dr. Fauci responded. Well, that's an unanswerable question for the following reason. And and I don't want to be evasive about it, but let me tell you why I'm giving you that answer, Judy. 
We are certainly right now in this country out of the pandemic phase. Namely, we don't have 900,000 new infections a day and tens and tens and tens of thousands of hospitalizations and thousands of deaths. We are at a low level right now. So if you're saying, are we out of the pandemic phase in this country? We are. What we hope to do, I don't believe, and I've, and I've spoken about this widely, we're not going to eradicate this virus. If we can keep that level very low and intermittently vaccinate people, and I don't know how often that would have to be, Judy, that might be every year, that might be longer in order to keep that level low. But right now, we are not in the pandemic phase in this country. Pandemic means a widespread throughout the world infection that spreads rapidly among people. So if you look at the global situation, there's no doubt this pandemic is still ongoing. All right, there's a lot of verbiage there, so let's uh, let's pick it apart here uh, very quickly. And um, basically, Dr. Fauci is saying we're at a low level right now of cases. Uh, so he's saying to uh, Judy Woodruff, if you're saying, are we out of a pandemic phase in the United States of America? He says, yes, we are. And he says, if we can keep that level low and intermittent vaccinate people and then he says and i don't know how often that has to be judy might be every year might be longer in order to keep that level low but he says right now we're not in the pandemic phase in this country he says pandemic means a widespread uh, pandemic throughout the world a disease throughout the world infection that spreads rapidly among people But he ends with, so if you look at the global situation, there's no doubt this pandemic is still ongoing. So his point is, he doesn't feel it's any longer a pandemic in the United States of America, but it is globally. But what I'm concerned about is that statement, he says, I don't know, we might have to vaccinate people every year, maybe longer to keep that level low. What do you think? You agree with Dr. Fauci about that? 209-551-3483. We'll get to your phone calls in three minutes. Here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's more with the voice of the valley. Mike Douglas on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And streamed on the iHeartRadio app. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. <laughs> Again, this theme of accountability is uh, is just so important at, at all levels. So, so to sum up what we heard from Dr. Fauci, this is my interpretation. These, these are my takeaways. One, the pandemic is over. Vaccines are probable and may have to be required annually for we don't know how long. And But he says the pandemic may be over, but the virus is going to be with us for the foreseeable future, uh, if not uh, for the rest of our lifetime. So there you go. Uh, Dr. Fauci, again, who I'm, I don't know who holds him accountable. Is there anyone who actually holds him accountable? We're also talking uh, about accountability in terms of uh, the the tough issues regarding uh, regarding uh, homeless folks who are unable to take care of themselves or others who may be struggling with mental illness or major addictions. 
and the the care bill that SB uh, uh, 1338 uh, that Governor Newsom has uh, proposed the the care courts the bill that would uh, make that happen still a lot of discussion about it here here are some of the the tough issues we think regarding uh, this this care court one is can the care court be abused can it be abused can a disgruntled spouse or family member or influential member of the community decide well this person needs to uh, go into the care court system and so what happens at that point uh, what, what, who will be the authorities? Who, who will be those who they, the courts will look to to say, yes, are we going to have a psychological evaluation of, what was it, 7,000 to uh, 1,500 people that, uh, that Mark Galley, Dr. Mark Galley estimated? That was it, wasn't it? Let, let me go back and, and double check on the uh, 7,000 to 12,000 people. <clears throat> Are we going to have 7,000 to 12,000 psychological uh, evaluations? And uh, as far as recommending to the court uh, people that should enter that system, uh, who could it be? Well, could be a spouse, uh, a parent, a child, uh, maybe even one of us pastors. I don't know a lot of questions to be answered i'm not sure that the bill in its its present form really answers a lot of the tough questions that uh, that need to be answered the bottom line though is there are hundreds of people on our streets who can't take care of themselves and they need some type of help that they're not going to go get voluntarily is the care court system do you think a solution to that no We'll, uh, we'll see what develops in Sacramento. And uh, we're also watching what develops in Washington, D.C. Dr. Fauci, again, as we talk about accountability, does he have any? Who holds him accountable? I don't know. Uh, our phone number here, 209-551-3483. Who do you think holds Dr. Fauci accountable? Well, let's talk about Dr. Fauci. We'll go back to the phones uh, Debbie and Stanislaus, what's your reaction to Dr. Fauci and his statement yesterday morning? Hi, Mike. Good program. Good questions. Good issues. Mr. Fauci, throughout time, we have shared our opinions across the world and across our country about how he's inadequate, blah, blah, blah. He gets paid the most money by the federal government. Da, 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 da. It goes on and on and on. But the way he replied this last time, was an interesting phenomenon because in the way, if you play it over and over and over and really understand what he said and the way he said it, there isn't a person on this planet, no matter who they are, that could have answered it with more, how can I say, logic. Nobody is a mind reader, including Mr. Fauci. So he did the best, I think, the best he could do with what we have. To begin with, we don't have a pandemic. We have germ warfare. I truly believe that when it is, how can I say, necessary for these quote-unquote bad people to put another, another germ warfare out there, 
That's all it's ever been. And you know that very well because we were told in the beginning a long time ago that this was done in some kind of a lab and blah, 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 and it goes on and on and on and on. We are so, how can I say it? We're so inundated in our humanity across the world, not just in the United States, but in the entire world, that we really need to take a deep breath, listen more than once to whatever we're listening to, try to grab a hold of it with the previous information we have. Our problem, the biggest problem that I see that might make that difficult is we have what's called technology. Technology has taken most of the people's brains away from them. Unless we utilize our God-given brains, we all have different IQs, but we all have brains. Until we get back to where we're using our brains and not our technology, we don't need technology to read a map and go to wherever we want to go. We don't need a Lexus on our nightstand or our dining room table or in our vehicles. People have given up their civil rights and civil liberties voluntarily. Nobody forced people to take technology instead of their brain. So my opinion is what I shared with you about Mr. Fauci previously. Considering the circumstances to date, it was a pretty logical pretty logical interview that yeah, was given, I, and I think... I, I got to run, uh, Debbie. I, I agree with you. I think he spoke... Uh, what's true, uh, and and I think he uh, did it in a in a fairly logical manner, as you said. Uh, so I would agree with you uh, on that score. Absolutely, we'll continue with the Mike Douglas Show in five minutes here on Power Talk thirteen sixty KFIV. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thirteen sixty KFIV is your place online. Let's get social with Power Talk thirteen sixty KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk thirteen sixty KFIV. And some spirited discussion today uh, regarding the whole issue of accountability. And that wide umbrella has covered a lot of territory today, uh, including uh, the homeless and, and the proposal for the care court. Uh, again, and, and the, uh, the folks up in Sacramento, they're, they're not unified on this either. Uh, and, and when we, we have a, a, a governor and a legislature, basically, that, that have a supermajority, in terms of democratic control, it's interesting to me that there isn't unanimity yet on this. And I think that's good uh, because there are so many questions about the care court. Uh, and, and basically, I think the safeguards need to be looked at. How do we prevent people from being um, irresponsibly sent into an institutional or a rehab type situation what if there's a a spouse an ex-spouse a family member that's got a burr in their saddle and and they're making the case that this person needs to go into a a rehab program well basically what the bill says the, uh, for this bill to work the state would have to have the power at some point to say we don't feel you're able to take care of yourself. Therefore, we are forcibly taking you off the street and we're forcing you into rehab. How often does forced rehabilitation work? 
See, that's one of the unintended consequences. Well, what I and and when this first came to the fore, when for, when uh, Governor Newsom was first talking about this, I I was receptive to the concept. I think the problem right now is sweating the details and making sure that we prevent abuse of this particular proposed care court system. Rehab efforts on the streets may reach only a small a small percentage of the community that that needs help. And not only does that community need help, but the community in which they're living needs help. Nobody really should have to walk through urine and feces on city streets. Nobody should have to walk through uh, needles that are left on uh, on the street. Nobody really needs to do that. We, we need to have healthy cities. We talk so much about health and safety and, and the rights that, that we all have. I, I think we all have the right to walk down uh, city streets, county streets, whatever it might be, without walking through human feces and uh, and smells of urine and and uh, discarded food and and rats that are created by that particular uh, issue i we need to be able to do that the question is how do we do it the care courts i think is uh, is a good seed of an idea as they say the devil is in the details and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, up in Sacramento, level heads will prevail. And it won't just be a political football to toss around because the midterm 2022 elections are coming up in November. I am hoping this is not just Governor Newsom saying, this is something I'm doing, see, you should elect me governor. I'm hoping that's not the impetus. I hope that's not the impetus for the Democratic Party either, uh, those representatives up in, uh, in, in Sacramento. So it comes down to the health and safety of the individual who may have mental illness or horrible addictions and the health and welfare of the community whose health and welfare outweighs the other? Well, I have to say that if, uh, if there's an apartment building and that apartment building is infested with cockroaches and rats and plumbing that's not working and uh, there are uh, dilapidated stairways in that apartment building, uh, do we let that go? No, we say it's a health and safety issue. Code enforcement comes in. I was at one point a code enforcement officer in a, at that time, a small city in Southern California. And uh, I understand these health and safety issues. There, there, is, uh, there is a major risk to the general populace in an apartment building like that. And so what do we do? We go after the landlord. We go after the owner of the apartment and say, you have to clean that up. Well, what's the difference if we're walking down a city street and there are health and safety issues? You can pick up diseases. In fact, and I'm, I'm blanking out on, on his name right now, but down in, uh, down in Los Angeles, 
uh, great, great guy that uh, was was part of Lake Avenue Church there for a while, and uh, later became the head of of the of the gospel mission uh, in Los Angeles. He picked up a lifelong virus uh, that disabled him from working with the the homeless on Skid Row. Right, so there's a health and safety risk to the public. Anthony Fauci is is all about recommending, and uh, the government and the White House implementing his suggest or his recommendations uh, to help keep us away from the COVID nineteen virus. Well, how about keeping us away from all the viruses and the bacteria and the hazards of walking down uh, places in uh, San Francisco or Los Angeles. I mean, you, you pick, uh, you pick the major city. Should we say, well, because it's the homeless, uh, we, we need to be compassionate and, uh, and allow that. No, no, it's a health risk to the community. And I believe that the health risk to the community outweighs the rights of the individual to create that risk. And so what happens then is we need to consider, well, is it, are we violating the rights of those homeless folks who may have a mental illness or a severe addiction, can't take care of themselves, and they're creating uh, these health hazards? Uh, if, If they're unable to take care of themselves, what do we do? Well, moving the homeless camp appears not to work. We see that happening right now up in Sacramento with the American River. The environmentalists are saying, hey, it's ruining the environment. These people are are creating fires because they're creating fires to cook their food and they're creating fires to, uh, to, uh, to uh, warm themselves. And so then we have a major environmental hazard. Isn't it interesting, by the way, how in our in our woke system, especially here in California, that threats to the environment are often held at a higher value than threats to human beings themselves? Isn't that interesting? That has to do with worldview and and whether the the universe uh, rolls around or revolves around the environment, or the universe revolves around self or the universe uh, is controlled uh, by an all-knowing, all-powerful God. Those particular worldviews come into conflict, and it depends where you're coming from uh, when you arrive at the solutions to some of this. So what do you think? Is it a rational, reasonable, and just thing to do to wind up having to take homeless people that can't take care of themselves into custody, force them into custody in order to put them into an environment where they can be cared for. Is that the right thing to do? Our number here, 209-551-3483. Voluntary participation in in, uh, gospel missions or uh, other uh, rehab programs, it, it really is voluntary. It really is voluntary. And you say, well, police need to arrest them and 72-hour evaluation. Well, okay, but that's 72 hours, and eventually they're out back on the streets. We talked about people in prison 
getting used to the structure that they're in. The, a lot of the street people who are creating a lot of the health hazards, they have their own structure. They have their own civilization there, and it's incompatible with the health and safety of the rest of the community. So what do we do? What do we do? What do you think about this, Caracourt? A lot of you are saying, well, okay, but we need to sweat the details a little more. I'd be interested in your thoughts about what details we need to put in this. Maybe we need to let our legislatures know what we think. We'll continue this conversation in three minutes. Coming up on the Mike Douglas Show, our phone number 209-551-3483. And let me say just very briefly, I am not in any way, shape, or form saying that a lot of the wonderful efforts going on with nonprofits and ministries aren't effective. They are for those who are willing to be part of the system and who will work hard under the structure, but not everyone is able to do that. So, do you support Gavin Newsom's program here, the idea of the care courts? 209-551-3483. We'll continue the conversations in three minutes here on The Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360-KFIV. A pastor with passion, a minister with manners. Now, back to the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360-KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Great to have you with us. I so much appreciate you and and the wonderful way you think and present your points. Uh, it's very refreshing. As uh, as I listen to many other uh, uh, venues, both on uh, television and and radio, uh, you you are, I think, one of the best radio audiences there are because you you really think. And, and we have these discussions where we can agree or disagree with each We can agree to disagree with each other and, uh, and still be friends. And that's the way the marketplace of ideas ought to work. And it works because you're willing to do it. So I, I thank you for that. On behalf of our producer, Mike Murray, and our produce, assistant producer, Brenda Lapomi as well, the team here really appreciates you and, uh, and, and your intelligent presentation of your thoughts. Well, here's, here's some more thoughts to think about, to cogitate over. We've been talking about the CARE bill or the CARE Act uh, for the CARE courts. One of, the, one of the problems is going to be if we do agree to force people who can't take care of themselves, who are creating uh, public health hazards, if we, if we do agree that they should be taken off the streets, that, that means being arrested, I think. How else are you going to do it? Uh, otherwise, it's voluntary. So let's say that if, if they can't take care of themselves, they're, they're arrested and then brought before a care court. And the judge says, the superior court judge says, you need to enter a, a program and be part of this, this enforced rehab program. And maybe it involves a going to a, a government-run shelter. That's, uh, that's another discussion. But there was an article recently in the San Francisco Chronicle pointing out that San Francisco spends millions of dollars to shelter 
uh, homeless folks in dilapidated hotels and with little oversight or support, uh, the results have been disastrous. It's a, I printed it out and it's, I think it's like 40 pages. So it's nothing that I can, I can cover in, in just a few uh, moments, but here's, here's the gist of it. Uh, they're, they're saying that their, their conclusion is because San Francisco leaders have neglected those hotels and, and failed to regulate the nonprofits that were supposed to be operating them. Many of the buildings, and there are some 6,000 people in these buildings, it's descended into a pattern of chaos, crime, and death. That's what their investigation found. Uh, Joaquin Palomino and Tricia uh, Thadani from the San Francisco Chronicle. They, they, I think it was about a year uh, investigation here. And they're saying, critically, the homeless crisis in San Francisco has actually worsened. So here you have millions of dollars going into shelters that the government created. And it sounds like some of them, if, if not all, uh, have been left to nonprofits to run. And basically, it's not been successful. So what lesson do we learn from that? If we're not successful with that, what do we learn from it? Has San Francisco decided to do something different? You see, we the poli- especially coming up to elections in 2022, the politician's answer is, I'm going to get more money. I am so tired. I am so tired of politicians telling us, well, we're going to get you a couple million dollars for this, a couple billion dollars for that, because the money alone does nothing. And as in the case of this investigation in San Francisco, the money actually created worse problems. Worse problems, chaos, crime, and death. And the conclusion that, Critically, they say the homeless crisis in San Francisco has gotten worse, even with millions of dollars. You see, and that, the same applies to education funding. It's not about the dollars, and that seems to be where it stops. I'm going to get you lots of money, so reelect me. Well, what's the money for? What's the money for? What are the details of the programs? You see, if we're funding things that don't work, There's no point to it. We're wasting money again and again and again. And so as we come up to November 2022 and the election there, my encouragement to you, because we're going to see a lot more of this. I'm already seeing it. I get a lot of press releases from uh, both uh, federal and state politicians. Senator or assemblyman, or congressman, congressperson, congresswoman, whatever, however they, whatever moniker or descriptor they use, they're going to bring $20 million to our county. Well, what is the $20 million being applied? How is it specifically be going, uh, going to be used? We need to ask these questions. We need to think critically about the spin that we're getting from so many politicians, especially as it relates to the homeless issues. The reality is relying upon voluntary compliance for someone who is struggling with mental illness or an addiction 
voluntary compliance does not work. It does not work because there is no accountability. What makes the uh, 12-step program work? Not, not just working through the 12 steps. We reviewed those the other day in summary. What makes it work is accountability. You'll find in, in, uh, in, in programs for recovery, one of the key things is you have to have accountability person or a sponsor, whatever, whatever name you put on it. Just going through the program on your own doesn't work. There needs to be some type of outside accountability. As a pastor, I voluntarily submit myself to other pastors in this area whom I trust, and they have my permission to speak into my life and say, hey, Mike, we don't, we don't think this particular thing is working. Well, what do you think? Let's go very quickly uh, to Lucille in Modesto. Lucille, I have about a minute left. What are your thoughts today? Okay, I'm not that comfortable with what the court's doing right now and who's holding them accountable. Uh, on top of that, we've got people trying to stack the courts. We've got at least one judge that doesn't sound comfortable with their own sex and can't define it. And um, I would like to see on the par at least as much money spent on the homeless as is being spent on people illegally coming over the border. The end. Yeah, uh, I would agree with you, Lucille, to a point, and that point is let's spend the money but let's have programs that we know are going to work. Lucille, great comment. Uh, and you have the last comment today on the Mike Douglas Show. I'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow here from 3 to 5 p.m. on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Have a wonderful evening.